Good afternoon and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we have Khadija here with us. Hi. Keeping it real. Yeah, keeping yeah. it real with Khadija. Amongst other things. So please feel well. Introduce yourself. What are, what are your, all your highlights? What are your main bits? Well, I mean, most people know me from The Apprentice, mm-hmm. 2018. Mm-hmm. I was a finalist. Mm-hmm. I guess I was a semi-finalist, but I like calling myself a finalist. Final five, I think that's a finalist. Mm-hmm. Um since the show, I've closed down my cleaner business that I went on the show with. Okay. And now I do a lot of motivational speaking. Um, I'm actually studying at the minute a course about business analytics. So becoming a business analyst okay. because I already help many businesses in growing and scaling. I work with progressive property. Um, I'm also a trainer, but I thought I have the experience and I have the network of growing and scaling businesses, but I don't have a certification almost. I have a law degree, but nothing since because I've just grown my own business. I find in business sometimes there is nothing that really qualifies you as an entrepreneur, you know, other Mm -hmm. than your experience. So, um, yeah, I I like learning about businesses and, and really getting into the crooks and the academic side. So yeah, at the minute I'm studying the, the whole guide, 500 page guide into being a business analyst so that I can can help and mentor and consult businesses even more so. So that's kind of intense, but fun. Okay. Where are you doing that or what's? Uh, so, well, I'm studying at mm-hmm. the minute. So, and then you book your exam. Brilliant. So it's a CBAP exam. And then after it, basically, it's just a certification to say that you're Fantastic. A, certif- a certified business analyst. Because I don't know, I guess I'm really confident in my abilities mm-hmm. and, and people that I work with, companies that I'm working with now are. Um, but there's a lot that I think I still have to learn in business at larger scale scales. So shareholders and all this type of stuff. So yeah, I'm currently educating myself, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is fun. Oh, always, always. This was all about personal development. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I'm doing right now. Hmm. I miss it as well. You know, I finished my law degree in 2012. Okay. And since 2012, I've not really studied. I mean, I've done in-work studies. I used to work for the financial ombudsman and hmm. every course they threw at me, I did. But yeah, I think I've gone through the last few years. It's all been hands-on job entrepreneurship and now i really want a bit more education bit Mm -hmm. of meat to the bone as they say yeah yeah okay even though i'm pescatarian so that's probably not the best phrase to use (laughs) so fire in the valley have you heard of it uh yes well Mm -hmm. i i've been there when we were discussing your podcast idea so yes i love the name Mm -hmm. fire in your belly Mm -hmm. for sure yeah i think i have quite a bit of fire in my belly to be fair cool what does it mean to you (laughs) Uh, to me, it's the want and need for more in life. And I think most, well, not even most, all the entrepreneurs I meet, the best phrase is fire in your belly to describe them because they've all got this desire to keep succeeding. And I think I have a fire in my belly. I could be complacent with life as it is, mm-hmm. a nice, comfortable life, nice house, nice cars, mm-hmm. uh, beautiful children, money. But there is always this desire and want to keep succeeding. And I think that's, to me, what fire in your belly is all about. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the entrepreneurs I know have come from underprivileged areas, including myself, mm-hmm. council houses, etc. And there's something that makes them successful. And I think you've hit the nail on the head when you say fire in your belly, because that's what's the drive for them to be successful. Sure, sure. 
So take me back then. So you were born where? Peterborough. Okay. Yeah. So you're local. I am local. Born and bred <laughs> Peterborough. Uh, so I grew up in Orton, okay. um, which, you know, it's not it's not the best area of Peterborough. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to a secondary school there. Actually, mm-hmm. huge respect to my secondary school. The current head teacher, Dennis Kerwin, was my head of year. He was on one of the Apprentice episodes, actually, when they went into talking about our upbringing. And... A lot of the people that I went to school with, they didn't go to university. Uh, They ended up out of work. So I think myself and my friend Tasha, who is a VIP here at Progressive, we were two, if not the only, in our year that went off to further education. Um, And I remember my younger sisters telling me that we'd been shown in the assembly on a big screen by the head teacher because it was such a big deal. Sure. Uh, my mum was a single mum, mm-hmm. uh, still is a single mum. Uh, she's always suffered with depression. Uh, we lived in a council house, you know, she didn't have any money. Um, so the financial burden, I always realised, we always had like a kitchen cupboard where all the bills just piled up in the cupboard and then you'd open the cupboard and they'd all fly out and half mm. of them hadn't been opened because, you know, she was just burying her head in the sand, which as a single mum, trying your best, you would. Um, she didn't really work when we were younger. She worked before and then worked a bit throughout, but not consistently. And I just remember thinking, you know, like now as an adult, I feel so bad for her. You know, she's in her 50s. So I try my best to give her everything I can. I've just given her a car, the best quality of life, because my motto in life is hashtag YOLO, you only live once. And I will never allow my mum to pass having lived that life for her entire life. And Mm. I think I've taken this almost burden or, uh, I don't know, job role of making sure that my mum has the life that I think everybody deserves and not that struggle. And I've witnessed so many people because you are the company you keep. And my mum had Mm. a lot of friends in the same position. And I witnessed all of these people living this life of being on, you know, benefits, living in council houses, not being able to make ends meet. And I just don't think anybody, I mean, I know there's people that are worse off in third world countries, but I just think you only have one life. And if Mm. you are privileged enough to live in a westernized country and you have these opportunities, then try to make the most of it because we're not here forever. Mm. And, you know, one day we're going to be gone. And I don't know, I just have this, this desire to make sure that my mum hashtag lives her best life, at least later on in life, if she didn't get to do it when she was younger. And I kind of live every day of my life like that now. Mm. I just think I'm working hard because I like to play hard. I like to go on nice holidays. I like to buy my kids nice things. I want to have money. I want to eat nice food. All of the things I guess my mum didn't get to do is what I am doing now. And yeah, I think that's probably my reason. Mm. Have you brothers and sisters? Yeah, I'm the eldest of four. Can you tell I'm the eldest? Um, there's two years between us. Okay. So I'm now 30, Yasmin's 28, Amber's 26, Kasim's 24. Okay. Well, that's quite even. Yeah. We all <laughs> turn even and odd. Mm, at the, okay. and the, so that's the only way I remember. We're the even year this year and then odd year next year. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so 30, how is that? 30 was, uh, I mean, it was a shock because mm-hmm. I still feel like I'm 18, mm-hmm. but I definitely, a lot has happened to me in my life. You know, I left home when I was 15. Um, I came back a couple of times, but I mainly left home mm. and 
I've always felt older than my years. So now, and I find in business sometimes, if you're young, people do think that you don't really know what you're talking about. So as much as turning 30 for me was like, oh, I'm 30, in the same breath, it was like, I don't know, there's this automatic people take you a bit more seriously when you're not a 25 year old or 24 year old, which is really rubbish, to be honest. I was going to say a naughty word, but I didn't know if you mm-hmm. have them on your podcast. Um, but I did, I felt a lot of that actually being younger and in business. I felt sometimes that people looked at me like I was just this overly optimistic dreamer mm-hmm. when actually I wasn't. But now I'm older and I'm more experienced. I think people tend to take you a bit more seriously. Sure, sure. Okay, so as a child, what would we have seen? You know, the uh, the, the sort of seven year old Khadija or that sort of that sort of age. Yeah. So about seven, my mum and dad separated. Okay. Um. So I just remember. Well, I just remember dad crying. He was a taxi driver, and it's the first and last I've ever seen him mm-hmm. upset. Um. And then just mum, kind of. I don't know. So my dad was, my dad's Muslim. So my mom was practicing Islam when they were together. And then when they separated, I don't know if it was like a midlife crisis or something, but mom was out a lot and doing, you know, different things, nothing any any, ever sinister, but she was a single mom. So she was Mm. just trying to, I don't know, find her purpose Mm. other than being a mom. And I just remember being younger and thinking that some of the decisions that mom made weren't weren't right mm-hmm. and eight, nine, ten years old, eleven years old, twelve year old twelve years old, I think I thought I knew everything. Mm. And so I would almost in a bad way judge my mum and it would cause arguments because a lot of the decisions she made I didn't agree with. And don't get me wrong, now I'm a mum myself, I definitely realise how hard it is and I have a newfound respect for everything that all mums go through. Mm. Um but yeah, I think we just just my childhood, really, I was just at loggerheads with my mum a lot of the time. And I think in a way, I do still have that same personality. My frustration was always, why aren't you, why don't you want more? Or mm. why, why don't you want a better life than this? You know, sure. why don't you want to work? Why don't you want to have more money? Why can't we have the things our friends have? And it was out of an anger and a frustration. And like, I don't understand why this life is okay for you. And even now I'm an adult and a mum of two, I still get that frustration sometimes with people, mm. people that victimize themselves or cry, poor me, poor me. You know, we all have shit that we have to deal with. And and it's about how you overcome it. My tolerance level for it is much greater now. I can, I'm can i tolerable of other people's life decisions. Okay. But when I was a teenager, particularly, mm. I just didn't get it. I didn't, you know, I'm very black and white. And I, I just didn't understand. Like she would cry and be upset about finances, but not do anything to change it. And I just, that confused the hell out of me. Mm. So I guess that's that's why I am the way I am because I think you know you've only got one person you're in control of your own destiny there's nobody that can help you or bail you out mm. you know someone can give you a car or they can help you out or buy you nice presents but ultimately it's your life mm-hmm. and if and if you've only got one life why would you choose to live it suffering if you could have a different option sure so yeah I think that was my point <laughs> mm. So would you, I mean, would you classify yourself as more like your mother or your father or? 
I mean, I don't think I'm much like either. <laughs> I'm just this, I'm the, I'm the black sheep, I think. Mm. I have this overwhelming optimism and people often mistake it with naivety. Okay. And I, perhaps before, maybe I was naive in business. Certain mm. decisions I made were naive. But I realized that the more people I meet and share the same optimism of life, mm. I... Nothing gets me down. My my daughter was born with brain damage and I continued to go on. My partner had an affair for four months when I was pregnant with my second child. And a year later, I went on The Apprentice. Nothing you can do will ever stop me from trying to live my best life. And I think the thing is with me is I look at other people that maybe don't have it as bad as they think they do. And I just don't understand why you can't just pick yourself up and keep going because I'm so able to do so. I get that's a really shitty way of looking at life, mm. but I just think no one's been there to almost guide me or, or baby me from the age of 15. I've had to do everything on my own. Mm. I worked three jobs when I was at uni. So if I can do it, what the hell is stopping other people? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So leaving home at 15, what what was that about? I just didn't get, didn't get on with my mum. Okay. So we just at loggerheads, so I just mm. left. Mm. And uh, I mean, this is much deeper than I've ever got on a podcast, but I kind of like it because I feel like people need to know where the fire in your belly comes from. Yeah. And and you can't really have a, a trivial conversation when you're talking about fire in your belly because it has to have come from something. Sure. It's not, I don't think everybody is born with it. I don't mm. think, and this is what I'm learning. Not everybody has it. Some people are happy to be comfortable okay. and some people are okay with, with a life that maybe others wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And so you have to describe or you have to think about where does your fire in your belly come from? And that's, this is obviously where mine's coming from. Mm. Do you, and that's an interesting point. Do you, you think, not everyone has it. Is that right? I don't know if not everybody has it, but not everybody massages it okay. or or yeah. pushes it. You know, sure. I think definitely there's a want, and we live in a society where you know trainers are two hundred pound, phones are this. Life is just expensive in general. Yeah. And I I know a lot of people that I've grown up with and been surrounded by. I'm using my mum as an example, but there's plenty of people that I know that want all the best things in life. They want the phone, they want this, they want that, they want the house, but no desire or want to work for it. Mm. And that is something that I've been dumbfounded by my entire life. Mm. I used to work at Pizza Hut, phones for you. I just did the hands <laughs> gesture, yeah. phones for you. And a shisha bar when I was in my twenties, when people were out getting drunk, I was working three shifts. I'd work on a Saturday phones for you about nine until say four thirty. Mm-hmm. I'd go over to Pizza Hut from say six till half past eight. And then I'd jump on the bus in London, North, North London, and then jump on the bus to a shisha bar until 2am. And people were going out, getting drunk and getting wasted. And I was there hustling. Mm. And so you know, to me, it's if you if you want that, if you want that stuff, if you do have a fire in your belly, it's it's no good saying I have fire in my belly and do nothing with it. Mm. It's like you know having a qualification and and not using it. Like you have the fire in your belly, but you need to do something with it. You can't just talk about it. You yeah. need to you need to be active. You need to network. You need to grow your horizons. You need to get out of Peterborough if that's what you need to do. Go and live in London for eight years like I did, you know. Meet different people from different walks of life mm. and find where you fit in because I never felt like I fit in when I was here. 
I always felt like I was very outspoken, okay. very ambitious, mm. very, very optimistic and surrounded by pessimistic people. And when I went to London, I started to realize that, you know, people were getting up at 5am to catch the tube to go into central London. To, and I started to feel more like I, f- I fit in with the hustle and the grind. Okay. And that's what I've brought back with me when I walk back, when I moved back to Peterborough. Mm-hmm. So what, I mean, do you remember back, you know, when you were to that 15, that leaving? I mean, what, what was the grand plan? Do you remember? Well, when I was 12, I always said that I was going to be a bank manager. Okay. Uh, in my opinion, bank manager was the be all and end all of life. Okay. Great job. Did you know my, me or just? My mum's friend from school, Laura, she had a really nice car okay. and she used to come to our house just occasionally. She lived in Brighton hmm. and she was a bank manager okay. and I believe she still is. And so I always said, I'm going to be a bank manager when I'm older. Okay. And then when I got to about 14, school and everyone said I was very good at arguing, but arguing in a positive way, i.e. if somebody was being bullied, you could count on me. I was like a prefect. Mm. They called it senior student. And I would always stand up for the child being bullied. Mm. And it was very good. A a teacher never had an answer to me because I always knew my rights and I was very outspoken. So my teacher said, you should go into law, actually. And um, I got a first in my debating in year one. So I obviously was good at arguing. Mm. But then, so then it was, I want to be a barrister. Okay. Uh, so that was the plan when mm-hmm. I went to law and then went to study law. And then I guess, I mean, I didn't get the best grade in my degree because I was mm. hustling so much. Rightly or wrongly, for me, what was important was money. Mm. I just knew that if I wanted things or if I wanted a good life, I needed money. And I should have studied harder. That is a regret I have. But equally... You know, I've not done too shabby. <laughs> sure, no, absolutely. So you're saying, I mean, in terms of you know the, the law side and, and training in that, I mean, is that something you resonated with? Um, you know, were you naturally academic, or was it was it something you you wanted what it could have been? If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I've always been quite naturally academic. Okay, like always in top sets in school and things. Yeah. Um. I think I guess for me, even from 12, wanting to be a bank manager, then wanting to be a lawyer. It's not Mm. necessarily that I wanted that job role. Mm. I wanted the life that that I presumed was associated with that. And then after I finished studying my law degree, I was meant to go on to the College of Law to do my, is it BPC? I can't remember now, but your contract Mm. to become a solicitor or barrister. And my dad was not very happy because I decided to take a gap year. And then I started working for a claims management company in Moorgate um, and as a business development manager. And then that gave me the experience to apply for the financial ombudsman service. Mm. And I worked there for two and a half years. And then I fell pregnant with my daughter and she was born unwell. And then I Googled a cheap business to start and I started a cleaning business. Mm. I think the biggest point of my life when I felt the biggest failure was when I had my daughter she was born the way she was. And then I gave up on the whole career that I'd built. So studying a law degree and then working in South Quay next to Canary Wharf was everything that I thought and envisioned that I wanted in life. Sure. But then I must have got bored or something because I planned a baby at 25. So I must have been, I'm so over this. Um, and then I had my daughter. And then when she was born that way, I realized mm. actually there's something else that I want and it's just to be with my child. But to go from studying a law degree, working in in those kind of corporate environments and then cleaning people's toilets was a jump. Mm. 
And most people would turn their nose up and, you know, I had a couple of friends actually tell me it was ridiculous and mm -hmm. how dare mm -hmm. I do it. But for me, I've always been really grounded and I don't really care what, what I'm doing as long as it's legal. Um, uh, as long as it pays me. And in my opinion, taking my six month old to me with me to clean houses for 10, 11 pound an hour was far better than traveling all the way to London and missing out on her life. Sure. So yeah, I think at that point when I started the cleaning business, I felt a bit shit. I felt like I'd failed or something wasn't right. But in true Khadija style, I couldn't do it just cleaning houses. I had mm. to then take on loads of staff, be eco-friendly, have fleet cars and have 27 members of staff when I entered The Apprentice. So it's like everything I do, I can't do half-assed. It mm. has to be a million miles per hour. And, you know, we grew from, I started with 20 pounds and we grew to six figures. And I did that all throughout all whilst raising one child, falling pregnant with another child, a relationship breakdown, multiple awards, and then ended up on The Apprentice. So yeah. if that doesn't say fire in your belly, I don't know what yeah. does. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You, you briefly mentioned there, you know, sort of talking about bullying in school. I mean, is that, is that something you're ever exposed to? Not me, yeah. per se. I yeah. was too mouthy. Yeah. No one dared mess with me. <laughs> Can you imagine me being bullied? No. Mm. I mean, my mum says I was when I was younger in school, like people, mm. because we're half Moroccan, people would be nasty, like racially. Um, but no, as I found my voice when I got older, I was just very outspoken to those that were being bullied. Mm. Um, and yeah, so no, I was always the protector. And I think that's what often people say that I am. I'm the, I, I, being the eldest of four, mm. I think I'm just the protector in life. That's what I try to do to everyone. Sure, sure. And I mean, as a teen, I mean, what would we have seen? You know, was it somebody who was quite vocal and outgoing or? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as a teenager, I was arguing, screaming matches with my mum constantly. Okay. Um, what about? I mean, what, what, where does that come from? Or? I think a frustration. Okay. A frustration about the decisions she would make, about the things that she would do. A frustration when there were, you know, at the school trips in school. And in school, I would mix with all children from all walks. You know, there'd be some kids from council houses like me. There were some kids that had nice big houses and their parents worked or whatever. So when those friends that I'm mixing with in school, we're all the same. But the biggest time when I would realize that we weren't the same is when they would be going on the skiing trips or the West End shows. And I was doing the, the no money enrichment week things mm -hmm. like, you know, staying in the school and playing board games. And so throughout school, it never felt like there was a divide because I went to a good school where there was people from all different backgrounds until there were things like enrichment weeks and, it all, it then became a reality that we were the broke ones, mm -hmm. you know? And also when my friend, when people started getting phones and then all of a sudden I'm the broke one mm -hmm. and, and then they've got new trainers and I'm the broke one. And when they're getting all these things at, at Christmas and I can't, do you know what I mean? I yeah. remember one, when I speak at schools, I often, I often say this in that, um, I remember when MSM Messenger was a thing. Mm -hmm. And so everybody would go home after school. And my email was chatalot4 at hotmail.com or whatever. Chatalot, right. Can you, can you believe? Chatalot4. <laughs> um, and I remember saying, 
oh yeah, guys, I'll, I'll catch you on MSN later on. I'm just going to, um, you know, I'm going to go home. I'm going to get changed. Then I'll be on MSN. And I used to go home, get changed, leave the house, go back to the library at school and log on, but pretend I was at home because we didn't have a computer. So I used to say, oh, my little sister's being so annoying or, oh, my mum's just called me for dinner, I better go, to then walk back in the cold to go back home to go and actually have dinner or whatever. And so, I don't know, it's like things like that in your childhood mm-hmm. that, listen, I'm not here saying that I was the poorest. We always had food in our tummy. We always had, you know, clean clothes. My mum tried her very best. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was like the men in her life, they didn't contribute or or whatever decisions but she herself holds her hands up that there's things that she wishes she'd done differently and I think that's where the frustration came from it was like but how come my friends mums go to work and you're sitting at home drinking tea I don't understand or how come they're not on the kitchen floor crying their mum's not on the kitchen floor crying when they get home from school but I come home and you're crying or screaming or you know because she's Mm. suffering with depression and I think so as I got older I just got angry and ang and and even now as an adult you know I often get this anger inside but I'm Mm. able to channel it now and I just think for me the best thing that ever happened was having my children it just made me realize that you know there's there's things to feel blessed about and it, almost these material things don't matter to me now. But sure. as a as a teenager, you know, like any teenager, like you're pissed off. I don't want I don't want the cheap four line trainers when my friends have got the brand new Nike ones. You know, like mm. it's that kind of stuff. And I just used to get angry about it. Sure, sure. And that 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 sort of built up anger and and you know, it's obviously something that sort of almost stuck with you. But you you sort of yeah, that's why people call me aggressive. <laughs> That's why, but now I'm able to channel, I channel it from aggression to assertion. But what are you angry at, you know? Now, now I'm not so angry. Mm. I say, this is very funny and I'm sure so many people think the same, but I often say, I feel like this wasn't the life I was destined to be in. Okay. And I, you know, you hear like, a superstars or a pop star say, I always knew I was going to be a pop star. Mm. And then you hear someone say, oh, I always knew I was going to be rich and famous. Or I always knew, I don't know what it is, but I've always felt this, like I knew that that life wasn't what I was meant to be in, okay. you know, or the, or going down that route wasn't, I mean, some of the people that I went to school with, they're in their thirties, they're still living with their mum. Mm. You know, they used to ride around on bicycles, stolen from people's gardens, like getting drunk from Lambrini on the streets and things, you know, like the, the things that I've seen and witnessed, mm. my life could have been very different had I not have had this fire in my belly, mm. I guess. What, what do you think you would have been? Or what could you have been? I mean, I could have ended up not working. Mm. I don't think I ever, my mum was always good at like telling us to avoid drugs and my dad's Muslim. So I always wanted to please my dad. So I don't think I ever would have gone too far astray, Mm. but I definitely wouldn't. I just don't, I mean, even my mum and dad, they say it themselves, you know, it's not even their fault, but sometimes when you live in a certain postcode or certain area and the type of people that you mix with, things could have been very different. And I'm not saying I would have been, you know, a druggie or anything like that, Mm. but I could have ended up just, I don't know, just not doing the things that I'm doing now. Yeah. 
in terms of the life or you know almost what you you know what you were supposed to be mm. what do you think that was you know bloody minted <laughs> <laughs> do you know what for me it's not even about money mm. I don't associate money with material things. Okay. I don't care about material things, to be honest. Mm. I like to have a nice house, nice car. But the reason I have a nice car is because safety for my children. I wanted a four by four so that when I drive around, my kids are safe and for the dog. I'm a very basic individual. You know, I don't, I don't care about flashy stuff. It's mm. just that means nothing to me. But I think I relate money with stability. Okay. And for me, the stability for my kids and for me and for my mum and for my family, you know, and for my, for everybody around me, I associate money with the want and happiness of not only me, but my entire family. And I think this is what people don't understand about entrepreneurs. I'm not trying to be successful for me. Mm. I'm trying to be successful for all of us. So my mum often says, yeah, but it's not your responsibility, but you don't have to do it for us. And I said, I know it's not, but I feel like it is. Mm. You know, I feel like if there's one of us that's going to drastically change our family for generations to come, then that person is me. So I need to, I don't want my sister's children or my children or their children to have to struggle like my mum did. Mm. I don't want anybody to have to go through that shit again. So if I can just make everybody financially comfortable, I think that's my biggest fear. My biggest fear is being financially uncomfortable. My mm. biggest fear is bailiffs coming to the house. My biggest fear is, you know, all of that stuff that I witnessed. I don't want anybody to have to go through it again. No one that I love and care about, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've watched what financial pressures and not having money can do to people. And I just don't want that to ever happen again. Sure, sure. So, 15, you're out. Did you go through A-levels or straight into work? No, I did my A-levels, yeah, at Bushfield. Mm. Um, what were you studying so at interest? Media studies, performing arts, and English literature and language. Well, okay. Yeah, I got BBC. The irony, I ended up on the yeah. BBC. There you go, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, at that point, I was living in London with my boyfriend's family, and uh, I was getting the train back for my A-level exams only for the exams so I was studying from home. Hmm. And the irony is there were a lot of people doing their A-levels in the school that, you know, were living at home in Peterborough with their hmm. families and and going into the school every day. And I was going weeks, if not months, not seeing anybody. I was working in London and then I was studying in the evenings. So there was a moment of glory when some of them got worse grades than me and I was like, ha! in your mm. face if I can do it and I've gone all this way you know mm. so I mean the the thing is I went to a good school where the teachers were really supportive and they knew the ins and outs of what it was like for me at home so they were supportive they helped me they knew why I'd moved out and that's why Mr. Kerwin when the BBC approached and asked would he be on the show of course he was going to be because he like many of the other people I grew up with are probably in shock that this is how or what I'm doing now, you know? So that's a proud moment mm. to see people look at you and be like, oh my God, I can't believe she's achieved that. That's like hairs on, on your mm -hmm. arm standing up, you know? Wow. So through, obviously got your A-levels out university. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Went to Middlesex University. Brilliant. Northwest London. Law, so three years, Law. is it? 
three years. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, like, I, I didn't do great. Like, I just about scraped through, mm. to be honest. But it got me to where I needed to. I put it on my CV and it got me into the jobs. And, yeah. um, you know, particularly things like the ombudsman and stuff, you can't get into there, or most people can't get into there unless you've got a degree. So I got the degree. If I could rewind or if I could do a degree again and not have to pay for it, I... um. I, or not have to pay for it now, I would definitely study my backside off. And okay. that's what I enjoy now about what I get to do. I get to go into schools and be very honest and very open. I talk about my upbringing yeah. and it's really relatable for children because a lot of the schools I go to are in underprivileged areas. And so, you know, I talk about the fact that we have bailiffs in our house and I talk about the fact that we didn't have any money and that I felt resentful and I didn't understand. And I talk about the fact that I'm now a mum and I see mm. it from a different perspective. And I have children all the time after when they leave, thank you so much for being so honest. Because children don't want to hear you go in and say what Ferrari you've got or what Rolex you've got or mm. this, that and the other. Children want to know that you're a normal person, that you're a normal person that's been through the mill and somehow you found the strength to come out the other side. And that's why when I go into schools and I'm a motivational speaker, I get a lot of great feedback because I hit the hearts of people. I'm not talking about the flashy stuff. I'm talking about the real stuff. Mm. So, yeah. So going through then, so in terms of fending up the ombudsman and, you know, what was, you know, what was after that? What was? Well, I planned my daughter at 25. I'd always wanted kids and. To plan it is quite. Planned. Mm. Mm, that's crazy. The head of yourself. Very ahead. I've always been ahead, though. Even when I was 15, I was like a 20 year old. Um, I don't know. I hate to say this, but I think, particularly where I'm, where I'm from in Peterborough, you know, people were having kids quite young. Mm. So it wasn't, it was actually a bit not normal that I had waited till 25, if anything, you know? So I saw people around me having children and I thought, you know, that's what I want. I Mm. want, and honestly, like it's the best thing I've ever done in my life. If anything, I might have had one sooner. And I don't know. Um, but yeah, I planned. Maybe I was a bit bored of my job as well at that point. <laughs> I wanted the maternity leave. Yeah. Keeping it real. Um, but yeah, no, we planned her. What we didn't plan is that she would be born with the cord around her neck and starved of oxygen. So for the first two years of her life, she had a specialist come from London to Peterborough. We moved back when she was one month old Mm -hmm. to check her mobility because she was at risk of cerebral palsy. So I think for me, that really hit me hard Mm. and, uh, and I couldn't return to my job after that. I, well, I was meant to go back when she was like nine months old and I didn't know at that point if she was ever going to talk, walk. So the anxiety I would have had every day at work, you know, having to ask somebody else, is she, Mm. did she walk today? Is she talking today? So, um, yeah, I pretty much Googled a cheap business to start and a cleaning business came up well so that was sort of an option to work but under your own terms be my own boss yeah Mm, that's something and be around my kids was that kid was that the entrepreneurship or was that an option or what did you see it as no that was just a, a need okay that was we had two incomes now we only have one okay i can't go back to my job what the hell am i gonna do okay so i'll google it and see what happens And, you know, at first, when I was cleaning myself, 
my partner's family, they've got friends with big houses, so it's great. Mm. I'd go, and because they knew us, I'd mm. take the baby with me and put CBBs on, and she was fine. Hashtag great mum. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I'd clean, and it was like £11 an hour, and and I was paying myself. It was when I decided that this wasn't enough for me because of that fire in my belly. Mm-hmm. This isn't enough. So now I'm going to start recruiting people because the workload, to be fair, I was so good at cleaning. The workload was getting too much. So my sister had her son quite young and he was in school at this point. So she needed a job during school hours. So I offered her a job. Mm -hmm. And then her mum friends would see that she was working during school hours. And before I knew it, I had a whole army full of uh, working mums and dads during school hours. And we were cleaning houses and offices and after build cleans. But when it was at its biggest, mm-hmm. the biggest, you know, biggest payroll, I think our biggest payroll was about 18 grand in a month. And I paid myself nothing and I was stressed out mm. and I could never switch off. And there would be this person can't come in because of this. This isn't cleaned. This hasn't been done right. Blah, blah, blah. And mm. it was monotonous and continuous. And at the point when I went on The Apprentice, you know, I knew that if I had the right investment and the right team, we could get some large clean and tenders. Um, I'd been approached by building construction companies to do after build cleans and stuff. So I knew we could get there. Sure. But almost after I didn't win, I thought, do you really want to keep doing this on your own? Mm. I could have got investment from other people. People say to me now, oh, why didn't you carry on? I would have invested in you. And that's great. But I just, I was over it. It was never something that I, you know, I didn't wake up one morning and think, oh, I'm going to have a cleaner business. Like it just happened. So after The Apprentice, so many opportunities came my way that I thought now's the time for me to just focus on what I want to do. And that's what I'm doing right now. Mm. So how did The Apprentice come about then? What was the... Well, I've always been a huge fan. Okay. And I applied in 2017, but I missed the email where they emailed me back because I was crazily you know, run into the ground with the cleaner business. Mm. Um, and I missed it. And then in, t- in 2017, I won locally um, Stanford and Rutland Mercury Business Person of the Year. Okay. And that was huge because I'd never really been, I don't know, I never I never thought that solicit- local solicitors, Hegarty and co-solicitors, these people, they were all the judges. And the business person was like the last award. So it was almost, to me like the big deal mm. and I know I knew I was in a couple of categories I was in that year I was in uh, Opal and Pearl Women business person of the year for me uh, small business and startup or something mm-hmm. and we were in three categories and I thought oh paid for these tickets and I'm not going to win anything and then it got right to the end and I got business person of the year and I was in all the papers and I remember thinking to myself oh my god these people actually see what like they've been to my home office they've seen the fleet cars they've interviewed the team they've seen all the products we had our own range of products like they from an outsider Mm -hmm. see that I've done good so you know I must be doing all right. And uh, that just gave me some confidence. So my partner applied for me in 2018 for the show again. And again, I didn't think I was going to get on. I just thought I'd go. 60,000 people apply. So, well, I must have done something right. Actually, I think what I did do, I remember we had to do a task building an Ikea desk or something. Right. And and we had to, in the interview process, talk about if you had a, a B&B in Blackpool, 
mm-hmm. how uh, talking about money and, and cost or something. And so a girl put herself forward as project manager, but she kept saying that she's no good at maths. And so the whole task was math related. So I think I said something along the lines of why would you put yourself forward for project manager if you're no good at maths when it's a maths task? And I remember Sabrina, who was on the show with me, saying, guys, guys, do we all know what turnover is? Do we know what turnover is? And I said something, because they recorded you at this point and people were watching you to analyze how you reacted. And I said something like, we're all in business. We obviously know what turnover is. Why don't you just stop harping on about that and just get on with the task? And obviously my very blunt rudeness got me on the show. They thought, God, she's going to be good TV. (laughs) (laughs) And before I knew it, I was there and so was Sabrina. Shock horror. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the two uh, outspoken ones. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Couldn't be polar opposites, more polar opposites. Yeah. So what is it? I mean, I suppose with the, with the business, you know, and, and it's, it's not just doing business, you know, you you, know, you could, as you say, take the 11 pounds an hour mm. and just leave it at that. Mm. You know, instead it, it's growing, it's the fleet, it's the extra staff. It's the drum. The, yeah, yeah. It's the, <laughs> it's the whole... You know, there's surviving and then there's thriving, you know, yeah. and, and you seem to be in the latter category. Yeah, well, I mean, I was surviving for mm, a long time, sure. just about. And, you know, I'm very open. My podcast is called Keep It Well with Khadija. I'm very open about the stress that it took on me and my partner. You know, he had mm. an affair, which if anybody meets him, is not that type of person. It's not to say it's an excuse, but once you've had a daughter born in that way, we probably were both suffering with postnatal anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. I think men often suffer it as well, but yeah. don't feel like that they can speak about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we then fell pregnant with our second child when my first was just 30 months. So I wanted the two-year age gap. Really, in hindsight, when I look back, I think, God, I put a lot on my plate, didn't I? Maybe the fire in the belly sometimes can be a negative. You want, 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 and mm. there's all these things that you need to achieve that sure. in a way it could be detrimental. I wanted two kids that were two years apart, like me and my siblings. Mm-hmm. I you know, I wanted a business that was going to be successful. I wanted the perfect home. We bought our first house when we were 25 yeah, yeah, tw- nearly 26. Um, bought our first house, this, that, but nothing was ever enough. And it's not until now, you know, four years later, five years later, that I'm like, you need to slow down a little bit. You know, mm. fire in the belly is great, but also you don't want your relationship to break down. I give a lot of entrepreneurs in relationships when I mentor. Um, I give them relationship advice because you know, I'm only 30, true, mm. but I've been through a lot of crap in the last few years and I put my heart and soul into this business that wasn't paying me. Mm. When payroll would come around, I would ask Simon to borrow money so that I could pay the staff until people paid me. And then, you know, I've had employment tribunal drama. I've had corporate contracts not pay on time and then not pay at all. I've had loads of, yeah, like you name it, I've been through it. Mm. So HMRC drama. So now I use everything that I've learned in the last five, six years and I use that to help other people. And I often say to people, when was the last time you had a date night? Oh, I can't remember. I'm just working. Well, don't do that because that you need to enjoy the journey. That's what Rob Moore says. And I really admire a lot of the things that Rob says. You need to enjoy the journey because 
there is no point doing what I did and and having your relationship break down and then being a, a mom of a two year old and a newborn and and some people or some women would say, how can you forgive that? Or, you know, you're weak for, for forgiving that. No, I'm not. I'm mature. And I acknowledge the fact that if you're screaming at shouting at a man on a daily basis because you're so frustrated with this business that is literally growing at a capacity that you can't handle. And I was just a young, naive yeah. girl that Googled a cleaning business, that Googled a cheap business and started it with 20 pounds. So I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a mentor either. I thought when I was 25, having a, uh, paying someone a thousand pound a month to just talk to me on the phone was the biggest waste of money known to man. Why on earth would I do that? Who's got a thousand pounds to pay that? Now I'm 30 years old. I'm like, oh my God, I wish I had a bloody mentor back then. Yeah. How many mistakes could they have helped me overcome? My relationship might have not gone the way it had gone, you know? All the drama, all the stress, all the sleepless nights, the anxiety that I was on antidepressants like all of these things, had I have had a mentor, maybe these things could have not happened. If I had someone like Rob at that point, I could have said, oh my God, Robert, okay, don't worry, Khadija. When this happened to me, I did X, Y, and Z. So now I use that knowledge to help a mentor and coach other people. Mm. Wow. Fair play. Intense. <laughs> mm. You mentioned antidepressants there. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Yeah. I mean, I've, well, I never, my mum was on them, so I never wanted to go on them. Mm. And I think I've always had never depressed. I'm, I'm not a depressed person. So I'm not that type of person with me. It would be, I want to sleep a lot. Um, anxiety, mm. but not anxiety in the way I would be able to be around hundreds of people and act fine. Mm-hmm. But if I said something, like if we, now I'm talking so openly and freely and I've said things that probably I shouldn't have said or, you know, I've maybe spoken about things that I probably shouldn't have spoken about. But when I leave here, my brand is keep it real. As I've become more older and comfortable, I'm like, Do you know what, I'm going to say stuff and people either like it or not. It might upset someone, but okay, but this is my truth. I'm just speaking my truth. If you ask me a question, I'm always going to be honest. When, whereas before, if I said something, I would have thought about this for the next four nights. I would not, or four days. I would have almost made myself ill, worrying that I had said something to upset someone or I shouldn't have said it that way. Or why did I do it like this? I spoke too fast. I shouldn't have done that. And it became an illness. Like I was constantly overthinking everything. Mm. I remember when my daughter was born because all of her illness was brain related. I would look at concrete floors when I was holding her as a newborn. And if I had her in my arms, I thought often if I just opened my arms like this, she'd fall on the floor and die. That's something that I used to think. I remember watching the Pride of Britain Awards when she was about six months old. And there was a scene when uh, an 11 year old or something, she was getting an award because her stepdad had turned the gas hob on and was about to blow up the house with a lighter. And she had got her mum's phone and she called the police really quickly. And I was just casually watching the Pride of Britain Awards, like many people do. But at that point, with a six month old, I was suffering post-traumatic stress disorder, postnatal anxiety and depression. And I had no idea that I was. But every night for about three months, I would check the hob. 
And I don't know, I didn't know why I was doing it. And then I would overthink, why do I keep checking the hob before I go to bed? Is it because I want to gas the house? Am I a psychopath? Do I want to kill everyone? Like, I don't understand. And it wasn't until Surveyor was 12 months old. So I suffered all of that almost in silence, only to Simon. I, you know, I, I keep looking at the corner of this table and I'm scared that it, someone might throw her like a rugby ball and she's going to smash her head on there. And then because I'm thinking about it so much, is it because I'm thinking of doing it? Mm. And then, oh, the gas hob and then this and then. And when I got to 12 months, I was having nightmares. So, uh, sorry, when she got to 12 months, I was mm. having nightmares so intense that I had to go to the doctor and say, I don't know what the hell is happening with me right now, but day to day I feel normal it's just something will happen and I can't stop thinking about it and he said something that I will never ever ever forget he said Khadija if you had diabetes I'd give you insulin if you had asthma I'd give you an inhaler you have post-traumatic stress disorder and postnatal anxiety and depression and I'm gonna prescribe you these tablets and you know see how you feel and after he gave me that prescription I instantly was better. Not, I didn't take the tablets. I just knew I was normal. So then I stopped worrying so much about it. And he told me to read a book called Mindfulness. And then that helped me. Um, but after that, obviously, what happened with my relationship, having a second child, I have been on and off antidepressants since. Um, I think, I think I find that I'm able to cope more. Mm-hmm. If I'm on them. So I'm on like, and even now I'm on a low dose and I'm very open about it because I do have a fuse, a very short fuse. And I've had it since I was a teenager, obviously. And I don't know if it's things, history, past, whatever. But I find that I'm a better person for myself mm. At the minute, if I'm on a low dose and eventually I don't want that to be the case. I don't want to have to rely on something like that. And I'm not saying I'm, you know, completely crazy if I'm not, but I know so many people that are on these tablets that won't admit it because they feel like it's some kind of shame or weakness, but it really isn't. You know, overall, you, like the doctor said, if you had diabetes, you'd take insulin, an inhaler asthma, like an inhaler for asthma. If you have a a chemical imbalance in your brain, then you need to do something to help. Now, obviously, I'm wary of side effects and I've read reports of, of if you take these tablets for a long period of time, they can give you dementia and these things. So it's not something that I plan on doing forever Mm. but when my life was at its craziest i needed something to help me and that did Mm. well thank you for being so honest that's keep it real Mm. i'm kind of glad we've done this interview i might have to take it and put it on mine as well if you don't mind because i think a lot of my audience they know that i'm honest and Mm. truthful but I never really get asked these questions. If mm. someone asks me, I'll answer them like this. But sure. nobody really asks me them. So mm. well done to you for being the first. <laughs> Inner critic? Of myself. Used to be more. Okay. Now I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, do you know what? I have developed almost this um, overpowering sense of self-love. And almost not, not, I, I, I always want to stay grounded and I always want to stay humble and I never want to come across as though I love myself, but I bloody love myself. Like I do. And for the first time in my life, I am so happy with who I am and what I say and how I act. And, and that's a really nice place to be. Mm. Why do you say you don't necessarily want to come across that way? Hmm. 
I don't know. I've always had this thing. I've always had a problem with chauvinistic people. Okay. And I mean, each to their own, but I did a bit of a ranty post on social media about egos. Mm. In business, unfortunately, people think that they have to have this persona that, oh, I'm too good for that. Or, oh, you're just like this. Or, oh, they get on my frigging nerves. Like, just stay humble. Hashtag stay humble. You don't need to be a dick just because you have a bit of money. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I tried to speak, speak to the janitor the same as the CEO. Mm. That's my thing. You know, I've cleaned toilets. I've been on The Apprentice. I've won Business Person of the Year. I've done a lot of shit in my life and I still will stop and speak, you know, if I've got time, mm. stop and speak to everybody. I don't have this elite criteria of person that I can only speak or network with. Sure. I do like to surround myself with positive people. I like to surround myself with driven people. But I don't know, there's a lot of egos that fly around in the entrepreneurial space. And sometimes the more people I meet, the more douchebags I come across. And if I could be the one to stand up like I did in school, I stood up for those being bullied. Mm. I think business is quite similar. There are bullies in business. Mm. There are not only bullies, there are people that think that they are a million times better than everybody else. And I'm just the, I don't know, the outspoken one that tells them to get their head out of their backside and just keep it real. Because, you know, who wants to work with someone in business that's like that? So, yeah. Mm. That makes sense. So in terms of, you know, um, where you're at, I mean, you know, would you classify yourself successful? I, people say to me, oh, you're rich, you're successful. I don't class myself as that. I say I'm on my way. Okay. I'm not there yet because I'm not. I think people think you come off a show like The Apprentice and you must be a billionaire already. Like, no, we all went on there as startups. My my business was one of the most established on the show and I've been going three and a bit years. So, you know. Really, we went on there with a lot of the turnovers were under 100K. Mm. Mine wasn't, but a lot of the others were. Mm. I know Sean who won. I mean, she had only been going, what, less than a year, something. So mm. the show almost gives you a platform. Sure. Now I'm working the platform. Mm. I'm not, I'm nowhere near where I want to be. I want to invest in property. That's the next thing I want to do. I do a lot of motivational speaking. I want to up that too. I'm a trainer here at Progressive. I'm loving doing that. Um, I consult businesses. I'm studying as a business analyst. You know, there's so many things that I want to do still. Mm. So no, I. if someone said, are you successful? I'm successful thus far and okay. I'm proud of what I've achieved, but mm. I'm not what I personally deem successful for me. Okay. So what, what inspires you then? What's uh, My kids. Okay. My kids and the want to give them and my wider family the best life. And when I say the best life, I mean more holidays. Like mm -hmm. I've just booked Disneyland Paris. That's not more, uh, I would sort of challenge and say that's not so much an inspiration, that's a want or it's the other side, if that makes sense. You want what that can give you. Hmm. So who inspires me in life? Well, what or who or how? I don't know. I mean, I have entrepreneurs that I look up to, but I wouldn't say inspire is the right word. Mm. I've never, I don't know, it's a, maybe it's because my dad's Muslim, but 
Islamically, you're not meant to idolize okay. anyone other than God. Okay. So I think I've just, you know, I was quite close to my dad growing up and being the eldest, I think he almost tried to educate me. Yeah. And there's so many Islamic traits and values that I cherish so much. Things that he taught me, you know, you shouldn't backbite, talk behind people's backs. That's one thing that I have always stood by. Like if I've got something to say, I'll say it to you, you know, that's yeah. all of these things that he's yeah. taught me. And one of which is, is to not, and rightly or wrongly, you know, not to idolize other people. So there are people that I respect, but I've never been, had fangirl posters. I don't get all woo woo when I'm around celebrities. I don't get like that when I'm around successful people. To me, everyone, you know, Who's the same? Everyone baths the same. You know, everyone eats the same. Mm. Um, they burp, they fart like everybody else. I, I don't get that. I don't, I don't, I mean, it's right. Whoever wants to feel however I personally sure. don't get that. And maybe that's what's helping me be successful is I mm. don't get starstruck by people. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. No, that's very honest and I appreciate that. Yeah. So I look up to people. I do Mm. like Rob Moore, Lord Sugar. I look up to people for Mm. sure, but I wouldn't say necessarily they're an inspiration to me. Sure. What What are you capable of? World domination. Don don don. No, I'm capable of so much more, and I think that's that's my my issue that I have is that I always say if I wanted to be a brain surgeon, I'd be one. And if I want to be an astronaut, trust me, I'd make myself one. I think I'm at this very bizarre stage. Mm. I spent four years building a business that I soon, like just recently decided to close down. And I'm at this stage at the minute where I'm like, okay, what do you really want? And I I dabble in, not dabble, but in my mind, I think, well, do you want to go into this or do you want to go into that? Because I know whatever I put my mind to, I will make it a success. Mm. Um it's almost like I'm at this point where I don't really know. Like, I like the idea of property, but then I know the stresses and strains that come with it, you know, and then there's other things. And at the minute, I'm almost having a year of floatiness sure. and, and making money and, and putting myself out there and building my network. Mm. Um, and then I'll decide. I don't really know. Mm. I'm in a question mark space right now. That's all right. And, <laughs> I mean, you talked before. I mean, obviously, the, the hustle was a you know is a word you use quite a lot. Mm. You know, do you still feel that, or is it different? No, I I hustle all the time. Okay. Because any project that I have going on, so for instance, this week I've got uh, a meeting with one of the sponsors for my podcast launch party. So they want me to do some freelance work with them. I've got study, I'm studying for this uh, business analyst mm-hmm. uh, exam. I've got things going on with Progressive. They've got the the team party here, so I'm part of that. They've got a meeting tomorrow, so I'm part of that. I've got a travel business that I'm helping out with and, and I'm building a brand with that. Um, I've got Amy Charles from The Only Way is Essex. I'm, I've got a call with her tomorrow. Mario from TOWIE. I've got podcast interviews lined up. I'm always hustling. Mm. It's just when people ask me now, what do you do? Mm. The answer is I just live my best life. Sure. I don't have a, a fixed answer. Mm. You know, I have so many opportunities, which I'm so grateful for. And if I wanted to, I could work a nine till five. If I wanted to, I could jump into property mm. right now. I've got a, a big enough network. I could do what I like. At the minute, I've got, um, I'm talking lease terms for a potential coffee shop with soft play where I live in Lincolnshire. Mm. So yeah, I'm just, I'm dabbling right now and it mm. feels awesome. 
Wow, okay. I get to do a bunch of stuff that I really like to do mm. instead of just focusing on the one. Mm. Multiple streams of income. There you go. <laughs> so what's, I mean, what would you say is your passion then when you put all that aside? I mean, what's... Hmm. It sounds so cliche, but literally the best, if you ask me, what is your passion? What is the thing I like to do most mm. in this entire world is what I did last night, lay on the sofa with my two girls watching Netflix. Okay. So my passion is to be, to give them everything that I didn't have, to go to the places that I've never seen. And to teach them about business and life and being successful. Mm. Nothing feels better than when my daughters say, mommy, you were on The Apprentice. Or when we went to the fish and chip shop on Sunday and they went, excuse me, can I ask you, were you on The Apprentice? Mommy, they know you from The Apprentice. Mm. And when I say to them, mommy's got to work today because, you know, I need to get some money. Oh yeah, mommy needs to work. And the other day we went to the shop and they wanted sweets and I said, no, we're not having sweets today. Mommy works hard for her money. We're not going to have sweets every day. You know, just teaching them the values. So so my passion is business for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. What specific business? I don't know. Yeah. I love watching something go from an idea in someone's brain to a logo, to marketing material, to a team, to a turnover, to a profit. That stuff excites me. And mm. that's what I like. I want to work not just with one business. I could give my all to one company and and that would be great. But for me, I like to, I want to help the masses sure. and I want to know business inside out, which is why I am learning and doing this business analyst course, because mm. I don't just want to know business from being an entrepreneur. I want to know the crux of business. I want to know the educational side of business, the academic side of business. So the, the two things I would say right now that are my passion is freeing up my time in a way and leveraging so much that I can spend quality time with my kids, mm. not being stuck in the nine till five and being my own boss, sure. but equally watching businesses, as Lord Sugar says, go from an acorn to an oak tree. Mm. His passion, and he says, is is he likes to see businesses go from an acorn to an oak tree. Mm -hmm. And I see that. And that's what I want to do too. Mm. That's, I mean, what does that give you? Is it, is it the connection or what is it, you know? I don't really know. It's a satisfaction. It's a satisfaction that just Joe Bloggs next door could have an idea to do something and he can make it reality. Okay. Like I literally, I have so, the other day we were talking here about progressive media. So we've got media agencies and things and um, they'll kill me for saying this, but they were saying, oh, we need to have a meeting with Rob because uh, we need to ask Rob if that's the right idea, you know, if we talk about that. And he walked in the room and I'm not waiting for a meeting. I'm an entrepreneur. I just asked him. And then he answered. And when he left, the, the guys here said, I can't believe you just did that. I'm, a, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I don't have an employee mindset. I can't wait for the quarterly board meeting. Mm. I can't wait three weeks time to get in the schedule. If you're passing me right now, I want to make shit happen, you know, and, and that could be frustrating in a way because sometimes I work with people not here and and not anybody that I'm working with at the minute. But I have since the show finished in January. I've worked with people who there's always an excuse. There's mm. a procrastination. Oh, I would do that, but I've just got to do this. And I think if I have two kids... And I'm a very hands-on mum. I cook dinners. I take them to school. I pick them up. Da, da, da. Yes, I have an au pair, but she helps with 
some of the things I don't like, like the washing. But, you know, I am a very hands-on mum. If I could be a hands-on mum and be my own boss and earn a lot of money and be the breadwinner and this, that and the other, mm. when I'm helping businesses where perhaps they don't have as much or they don't have children and they don't have this, they don't have that, and there's still excuses, that shit annoys me. Because if I if I wanted to start a business right now, and this should almost be a challenge, maybe we do another podcast episode, mm-hmm. but you tell me, create a business, create the brand, create the logo. I will have everything and the website circulating by tonight because that's what I do. That's what I like to do. And then after, I will help, to help them build the network, grow the leads, get the sales in. I'm a glorified salesperson. That's, I'm a salesperson that has no patience and no want to wait. Mm. So... I think that's great when you're working and consulting with businesses, but it depends who you're working with because some of them like to take a slow, systemized approach and I don't. Mm-hmm. How do you get into that creative space? I mean, I don't know. It's like a an illness <laughs> because it is literally like I've had a street food business. People don't know about that. I bought a camper from Cornwall for £3,000. I got a virgin startup loan that took me three months to draw up the business plan because it was so intensive. Um, we got asked by Glastonbury to go to their events and I spent £7,000 on renovating this van I got 5 out of 5 food hygiene from the local council I got a level 3 online certification for basically being a chef we sold Mediterranean street food all 5 star reviews but that's where the naive entrepreneurship comes from Mm. I started it when I had a cleaner business and two young children the cleaner business was going wild and I thought oh I'm an entrepreneur it'll be really easy to go and buy a van no it wasn't so I sold the van but you know I wanted to do it and I did it. Sure. So whatever I want to do, I'm going to do it, whether it's the right decision or not. If you don't risk anything, you risk everything. <laughs> One wise man says, and he's bloody right. Mm. You know, I still owe money on the bloody loan that I took out for the van. Do I care? Hell no. Mm. I'm so grateful that I did it. I've got all this knowledge and experience now that I can help other people with. Mm. For the sake of 10 grand, I'd rather be 10 grand in debt, paying it back, but have the memories and the experience and the knowledge from who would have thought little old me could be at a festival or a wedding fair like I did do for months there cooking kufta kebabs for people that were paying £5 a wrap. £5 a wrap. That's bloody expensive. It cost me about 30p to make it. And you can make money from that. Now I know that I'm capable of that. Mm. So I don't really care about the overhead or the this or the drama, which I did before. Mm. Now I look at everything. What's another thing he says? If you don't earn, you learn. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the stuff that comes out of Rob Moore's mouth is real good content. He's right. I didn't earn and I'm still paying it back. And in a way that could beat me down. But I think, no, he's so right. How much did I learn from that? Mm -hmm. So much. Makes sense. Who pushes you? I think my network, like I have a really good network. Rob, obviously I'm very close. He's, I look up to him, a mentor, a friend, a business associate, you know, we work together. Um, Mark Homer as well, another, you know, I look up to them. The Apprentice crew, we've got a WhatsApp group, so we're always like supporting each other. I think you know, my my partner has been very pessimistic in the past, like, and he had good reason to be, I guess. Some of the decisions I made have lost us money. Sure. And that's stressful when you're a young couple with two young kids, you know, and he was the main income bringer. But 
I've always, almost now is like kind of nice because I get to be like, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> I told you something would happen. You know, because it's horrible when you're arguing because mm. payroll's coming and he hasn't got any money and you're saying, look, I really need to borrow two grand because I need to do payroll. And he's saying, I don't have two grand. And you're saying, well, I need you to find two grand because I've got no money. And, you know, that shit happens. So now to be like, look, you know, that cleaning business that you said was going to fail and ultimately I've now closed down. It didn't fail and mm. it could have been huge but I chose to step back and it got me on The Apprentice which in turn has got me speaker gigs that are paying me thousands you know so he now pushes me but hasn't always Mm. and that's often a thing I find in relationships you know you either have two people that are like-minded or one is like it. I think I never appreciated his nine to five mentality. Okay. I used to get frustrated. Like, why are you so happy with this, with this basic life? Like that's, you know, I didn't get it. Like, why are you so happy with the nine to five? It's mm. so annoying. But actually when you've, when you've taken risks and you have to rely on that nine to five person to borrow their income because your risks have meant that you need money now. Mm. I've I've got a newfound respect for people that want the comfortable life because actually the comfortable life is far more easier than the entrepreneur life sometimes. Sure. You know? So now would you say are you are you pain or pleasure driven at this point? Pleasure driven. Before it was pain. Mm. With the cleaning business hundred that's the best way of wording it. I was pain driven. I had to get myself out of the shit. Mm. I had, I, I needed to earn money because I had people to pay. Sure. That wasn't, that wasn't satisfaction. That was a need. Mm. Now I do stuff I love. I'm here today because I want to be here. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm here tomorrow because I want to be here. I'm doing things. I don't have people texting me. I don't have anxiety that my phone's going to go off because someone didn't clean properly mm. or a customer's complaining or someone's put a bad review on my Facebook page. I don't have that anxiety anymore. Mm. I'm just me and my brand is, Khadija is enough. Mm. I don't need an army of 30 people and this big brand and eco-friendly vehicles. You know, I couldn't buy a four by four for four years because my cleaning business was eco-friendly and I thought it would go against the brand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now I no longer have it. No disrespect. I like to be eco-friendly and whatever, but still I bought myself a Volvo. Like mm -hmm. I bloody want a nice big four by four. Like all of these things that now I'm finally happy. Mm -hmm. Do you ever find yourself in flow state? I mean, I think I've seen it here a couple of times. You know, what do you mean? The, I suppose, uh, and to put it into context, you know, the almost when the subconscious mind is, or the, the conscious mind is put apart, put aside, and the, you just are true to what you're saying, you know, it's that the true you slips through. Yeah. I think the true me in the last year, mm. I think The Apprentice was the best thing for me because I wasn't, I was as I am. Yeah. And the one thing that I get a lot of feedback from people is that when I meet you, you're just how you are on TV. Yeah. There's no, and it's weird for me because often people think they really know you like, and they saw a lot. They went behind the scenes. They did a whole episode on me, my family, my kids, my mom. My mom said on national TV, Khadija left home when she was 15. She worded it very nicely, but it was the truth. They showed pictures of Soraya born with the tubes all in, a, you know, around her head and things. So people come up to me and they, and they know me, you know, mm -hmm. and that acceptance mm. has really, skyrocketed my confidence yeah. so now I don't have a fear of just saying what comes to mind sure. and I see that with people like Rob Moore 
he is so comfortable being himself, mm. you know, and and he did a live video about, you know, maybe you should hold back this or or being yourself isn't always the best advice you should. And I am conscious in certain circumstances, I'm a certain way. You know, it's not that everybody is going to hear all of this gumph mm-hmm. that I've got to say. Actually, your listeners are going to be surprised because I don't think anybody knows half the stuff that I've said here because I am professional, but I'm always me. Um, but I don't, I don't question the conscious and the subconscious because I'm authentic and that's what's important. Mm. So I am just as I am and people like it or hate it, but I can't change. Going back and giving yourself advice or the word in the year or whatever, what would you be what would you be saying? Advice to your younger self. Don't let your business become a monster in the sense that it takes over every ounce of your life. Mm. Feeling like you're not present, but you're present. But for a long time, I felt like I was never here. You know, like I'd be in the room with the kids, but I wasn't really in the room with the kids. Or we'd go on a date night and all I'd be talking about is stressing about business. I would say to all entrepreneurs now, focus on your relationship and and your happiness outside of money you know and people say money doesn't bring you happiness i agree but money makes you more comfortable Mm. most couples that i know their main argument is money related and what a sad world it is that we live in that that's the case but the reality is that is the case Mm. so yes money's going to be tight and you might have a bailiff or a ccj or this that you know but ultimately you're healthy touch wood and mm-hmm. you have someone that loves you and yep. you have children or if you don't you know the there's lots of things to be grateful for in life and often you can get so consumed in business that you forget that you're blessed sure. and that's exactly what I did I was so consumed in the drama that I forgot how lucky I was to have what I had so if I could go back I would just say enjoy the journey like enjoy the journey so much more. And and I used to think everything was the end of the world. If I got a one-star review on my cleaning page, you know, I'd have like 65-star reviews, one one-star review, and it would literally piss me off for three weeks. Mm. Like that shit don't matter. Everybody gets a one-star review. Mm. Like it, it really, you know, it's not a big deal. But when you're a startup and you don't have a mentor, it feels like a big deal. When that business is your baby and you've grown it from an idea in your brain to the logo and the brand and everything when you've done all of that and you're working all the hours and someone has the audacity to give you one star you take it personally Mm. and so Lord Sugar always says get someone to look at your business with fresh eyes or try to look at your business with fresh eyes and that's the advice I would give myself too don't look at your business don't take things personally like people are attacking you Mm. look at your business like a business don't look at it like it's your child because that's what I did and I wasted so many hours feeling pissed off and down and depressed that were unnecessary mm. what what are you doing with your kids have you a, a strategy with them or what way in life or business no. i'm gonna get them working in a market store no i'm joking um what do you mean in like their life whatever way you perceive it mm. i mean they're both really smart so i'm here to encourage that um I want them to try all things, you know, like swimming and ballet and all these things. I used to do cross-country running and I was really good at football. And 
when I was cross country running, I started running at Peterborough Embankment. And that's where, you know, all the big people went running or whatever. And I remember mum couldn't commit to taking me every week. Maybe she didn't have petrol money or something happened with the other kids. I don't know. And so that kind of dwindled. And I, I mean, I am very busy, but what I'm trying to do is as they get older, make sure that things like that I nurture because I wouldn't say I have a resentment, but even to this day, I'm really good at running. Like, And I just think, you know, what could I have done with it? Not to say, you know, that I would have been an Olympian or something, but I could have been. And yeah, I just want to make sure that I nurture things that they're interested in. Mm. And do you see yourself as actually, you know, what what would your advice to them be in terms of, I mean, whether it be academia or whatever it is? I mean. To save money. Okay. Because I started working when I was 14. Um, actually, 13. What was your first job? I worked in Hampton. I don't know if it's le- if it was legal. I'm sure it was. But I worked in a place called Hot Stuff. And it was making pizzas and wraps. I, th- I think I was 14, actually. Oh, God, you said that. I was 14, <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. hot. Oh, yeah, Hot Stuff. Yeah, <laughs> Hot Stuff. It was wraps and pizzas and stuff. So I worked there. Obviously, had paper rounds. Worked at Big Sky Activity Place in Peterborough. Worked there for two years. You know, I've had loads of jobs in between, mm. like life. You name it. I worked at a um, family friend had a bakery patisserie place at St Paul's Cathedral. So I used to go there at like five a.m. on a Saturday morning to help getting prepped up with ciabatta and all this stuff. Speak Italiano. Um, yeah. So like, I wish I'd saved money. Mm. Like I. I guess this desire to have this life that I didn't have or whatever. And then even to this day, I'm not very good at saving because Mm. I want to make memories. So I'm like, oh, got a bit of money, let's go here. Or got a bit of money, let's do this. So I definitely, for the kids, want to save for them and get better at saving, Mm. following the strategies, you know, invest some, save some. Is that a money paradigm or is that just who you are or what you are? Mm. not quite sure I think I think everybody should have that little cushion Mm. so when when things weren't going great with the cleaner business had I have saved money I would have had a 30 grand pot to dip into maybe my relationship wouldn't have Mm. gone the way it did you know things would have happened when we bought our first house we did it on a help to buy scheme mm-hmm. and uh yeah eight thousand pounds was all we needed neither of us were good at saving we were mm. 24 with no savings and the worst thing is that's so that's so common like so many people get to that point they want to buy their first house so to the younger generation i always say you know Put some aside. You don't want to, when I go into schools, I say you don't want to get to 24 and want to buy your first house and you haven't got anything. Or you don't want to start saving when you're 24, 25. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I need to get better at that. Mm. But you've never known that. You've never been taught it. So something you have to teach yourself. It's true. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, it's very common. Mm. What about self-sabotage? I don't really think I I self-sabotage. If anything, I blow my own trumpet too much. I'm the opposite, <laughs> but I do it in quiet and, and, you know, behind closed doors. I'd never, like I said, I'm always humble and stay grounded, but mm. I don't know. Sometimes I do things and I go home and I'm like, I'm freaking awesome. Mm. 
but I just don't feel I need to share that with the world. I'm just proud of myself in that moment. So being awesome. That's... Yeah, but I find it frigging annoying when people are like, oh, yeah, I've done this. It was so great. Oh, yeah. Like, I like a balance. In podcasting, I say the same, yeah. light and shade. You know, I think it's important to talk about your successes. Sure. In my opinion, in a humble way, talk about your successes and also talk about the shit that happens in your life. But I don't know, like often I'll go home and I'll say to Simon and I'll go ranting on for 10 minutes. Oh, and I've done this. Then I was on stage and I did that. I just need to get it out. I just need to talk at 100 miles per hour and just rant to someone that I know is not going to judge or say anything. And then we have the, we've been together seven years, you know, despite everything. And he's very good at telling me to get over myself. And then I think that encourages me to love myself even more mm. because it's almost like bumpful. He'll say, oh, get over yourself. You think you're such a big deal. And I'm like, no, seriously, I am a big deal. Do you know what I just bloody done? Mm. And despite it being banter, I think that helps me. He He's knocking me down a peg or two and I'm going, hold on a hot second. Mm-hmm. I'm frigging amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that has helped me. I mean, what it used to do before when I was younger, maybe and going through drama, if he said anything, a criticism, I never had enough confidence in myself. You know, I, I, he'd say it and I'd cry. Oh no, your cleaner business is never going to be successful. And oh, I can't believe he said that. Now, if he says, oh no, that's not going to work. I'm like, shut your face, watch and see, wait and see. Cause everything mm-hmm. I've done thus far has turned out all right. Do you know, I've almost had to prove myself in the relationship to, mm-hmm. for him to see that I, yeah, I do. And I guess it's a, for me, it works. What was your what was your wrap up from the from the cleaning business? I mean, what was your takeaways? Uh well, I mean, wrap up in physical terms, I listed it for sale, but I was so done, I just kind of closed it down, so yeah. it's just dormant. Mm. Um, my takeaways: when you realise you're not happy, just don't be afraid. I think I was unhappy way before the time mm. when I closed it down. I think mm. I should have pushed it at two years and then what do you need sorry it's just you're blocking people on the car park so just move. oh i'm down the bottom yeah. yeah oh okay all right we'll be done in two minutes unless okay. somebody wants to move it for me my car's my key's in the back okay I'll let them know. it's in the middle section yeah sorry to interrupt that's right uh sorry what's the question Christ, i just forgot myself now um <laughs> sorry uh, yes lessons learned from um the business yeah um if you're unhappy in your business don't be afraid to say that or mm. don't be afraid to to go in a different direction i was unhappy i think for about 18 months but i carried on because i thought i had to and I mean, ultimately, it was good for me. Yeah. I ended up on The Apprentice and stuff. But yeah, I think you just need to be able to own it if you're not happy. Sure. Move on. Mm. In terms then of vision and mission, what's the plan? Where are you going? Do you know? I know I am going to be a millionaire. And I've put a time frame. You can hold me accountable. Okay. I originally said 18 months. I'm going to say 18 to 24 months. And we'll do a catch up then. 
from 32 today? from today well from now i said from 30 i turned 30 in october okay so by the time i'm 32 i want to have made my first million turned 32 turned 32 okay so <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a year here turned 32 so 30 to 32 okay it's two years from now 24 months 24 months well first well. million mm-hmm. um and yeah, if I put it out to the universe, it's more likely to happen, right? Um, first million, and I hear that the first million is the hardest to make, and then after that, it gets easier. Mm-hmm. I keep reading this meme, if you sell a thousand things to a thousand people for a thousand pounds, you're a millionaire. Mm-hmm. Or two thousand things to two thousand people for five hundred pounds. It's not that hard when you think of it like that. I've got seventeen and a half thousand people on LinkedIn, five thousand plus on facebook plus all my pages um twenty two and a half thousand on instagram mm. all i've got to do is sell to a thousand of them mm. i'll sell something to you a thousand things to a thousand people for a thousand pound and there's my million done mm. and it's completely achievable with the network of people that i have sure i've just got to find what exactly the thing is i guess because at the minute i've got you know i'm spinning a few different plates and i'm getting paid well but if I want that million, I need to up my game. Mm. So it's time to up game. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and in terms then of legacy, are you at that stage yet? Do you? When I go into the, to the schools, which I do quite frequently, about twice a month, I go into different schools in the Lincolnshire area at the minute. I just went to one in Barns, Barnsley, actually. Um, but yeah, mainly Lincolnshire. When I go into the schools twice a month, and when I leave and those kids come up after and say, thank you so much, that's legacy enough for me. And if they remember me when they're successful and me going in and keeping it real and telling them about, you know, the bailiffs taking my CD player or hanging around with people that rode seven-year-old bicycles and tell them how my life changed, if that inspires just one of them to be successful in life, that's all the legacy I need. I'm, I don't really, I don't need the MBA, OBE, all that stuff on the end of my name. I mean, if I get it, I get it, but it's not really what I'm working for. I'm more about humanitarianism and, you know, if I can help people wider. So I, biologically, I'm half Libyan, but I've never met my biological dad. My dad raised me from six months old. And often I look at things that happen in Libya and I think how lucky I am to be here. So I guess my wider legacy almost is to just help, to just help people live their best life worldwide, mm. not just in England. Well, that's, that's quite something. Thanks. I'm pretty deep, really. People don't see this. <laughs> yeah, it's... You know, that's the, the beauty of this, taking time out to, to talk, yeah. to talk, you know, and go through. Yeah. In terms of, I mean, what, what would you say your main values would be then? You know, if someone was describing you or what you'd love to see. Honesty. Okay. I think my biggest value is honesty. I just like people to be real. Okay. And I think if people, well, people, people called me real after the show. That's why I call mm-hmm. my podcast, Keeping It Real. Um, be real. Be humble. Be approachable, be personable. That's important. Um, I'm not all, always the most empathetic or sympathetic. I think I need to work on that. And I don't know if that's an entrepreneurial trait. I'm often, uh, you know, someone's got a cough or cold and I'm like, oh, get over it. Take some day nurse. So maybe I need to be a little bit more empathetic and sympathetic. Well, that's the fighter too, you know. It was a fighter, you know, fighter to survive. Fighter, but yeah, yeah. I also just think there's people with bigger p- worries and problems in the world. So, mm. like, it's not necessary for us to 
to cry over spilt milk, as they say. Mm. So, um, mm. so yeah, I think those traits, what people often say about me, I, I have a big heart. Those that are closest to me know that. They know I'm very loyal. You know, I'm a ride or die chick. Like I, you know, my friendships are deep. They're not superficial and I can't have any superficial relationships. Everything for me needs to be deep. Um, and I've lost friendships in the past because I felt like I've given a lot. It was almost like a sister. And some people are just superficial and they're not there for you in your times of crisis. And I just learned to not have those people in my circle mm. because I'm not a fake person. So I can't be fake friendly. Um, but equally, I say if someone's a bitch to me, I'll be a 10x bitch back. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very nice. But if you mess with me, then mm. I'm not. <laughs> walking with a studded baseball bat is like that's that. it yeah. yeah ready for them to attack but that's true like uh, i m i can bark and bite really hard if people are just not nice people mm. so i'm not afraid to speak i'm nice i'm loyal i'm honest i'm humble i've got big heart but you f with me and you're you know we're done mm. so mm. and i don't really give other chances it depends what people do but if it's snaky malicious shit then we're just you're not mm. my person so mm. well so if you to try and describe fire in the belly in one word what would it be if i was to describe fire, fire in the belly in, in one word, one word. Khadija. <laughs> no. Fire in the belly in one word. Um, hunger. Well, brilliant. Love it. Thanks. Has anyone said hunger before? No, actually. I think that's the first. So I'm unique. Yeah, you are unique. <laughs> no two ways. Listen, uh, thank you so much. You're welcome. It's been, uh, it's been real. It's been real. Always. <laughs> no holding back over here. Yeah. No, I said, listen, I mean, fire in the belly, you've got got it by the bucket loads mm -hmm. your honesty is something else it truly is thank and, you uh, yeah no I look forward to it thanks let's uh, get in the diary two years from now I look forward to it I'll be that. minted <laughs> I'll be minted I'll take us out don't worry go for it always <laughs> thank you so much really appreciate it thank you for having me okay thank you bye bye thanks.